Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Hello. Um, we, uh, we, we prepared these videos because sometimes we don't even know what's going on out there, right? And how our resources are going into action. And so thank you for that. This, uh, I, Terry, uh, Pastor Terry shared, um, every dollar we collect goes back into mission and ministry. We don't hoard. We, we uh, send out. So we, we need your support. We thank you for that. Uh, Jesus said, my father's always working and I'm always working. This church is always working. There's stuff happening I don't know about. And I love that um, as we continue to reach out. So we appreciate as you're praying, as we end the year strong, uh, we had two frontline gifts already come in, um, in to get us $150,000 toward our goal. I mean, folks are really praying, thinking about how important widening the circle really is. So we appreciate you praying with us. I'm glad to be back. I was away last week. Uh, some of you troll me on social media and, and uh, were snarking me a little bit when I was preaching down in Cincinnati. Um, but I was down in Cincinnati at People's Church. Just two quick statements before I get going. Um, about how important I think this mission is that we try to do together with God's help uh, to widen the circle, to reflect the church on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, People's Church in Cincinnati is a partner church with us through the Mosaics Movement. Um, In 2004, Chris Beard, their pastor, has preached here. In 2004, he and his wife Jan were struggling with the fact that their church did not reflect the kingdom of heaven. Right? It just looked like all the same people, all the same ethnic group, all the same roughly education, everything. And it broke their heart. And in 2004, which ironically was the same year I came here, they had this passion. They announced to their church, we are going to work to make sure our church looks more like a church is going to look in heaven. And do you know the next Sunday, 60% of their folks walked out. 60% of their church left because they didn't believe in that kind of vision. And fast forward to today, 15, 16 years later, they're four times the size they were when everybody walked out, and they had 22 nationalities represented in that service on Sunday. It was amazing. And they have said um, that they look north to Cleveland, to Garfield, because to know they're not alone. And People's Church and Garfield Memorial Church are the two uh, percentage-wise most diverse churches in the state of Ohio. So it was so good to go down there. Um, they treated me like a rock star. They're, they're, they're in the Assemblies of God. It had been a while since I preached in a Pentecostal church. Um, I had so much fun. So if you all sit out there like the frozen chosen today, uh, like statues, you're going to upset me. Okay, you are. Because that was, man, somebody once said you can't bake a cake in a refrigerator, right? Like I was not in a refrigerator. I was in a furnace. That was a heck of a lot of fun. But they're, they, they say to go back to Garfield and tell Garfield how much People's Church is looking to us. Uh, for the connections. That was beautiful. And today, uh, Pastor Steve, if you know Pastor Steve, one of our teaching pastors, Pastor Steve Furr, um, there's a church that we've been ministering to do. Uh, we've been, I've been a teaching cohort with them, a coaching relationship in Cuyahoga Falls. 
Um, how many know the moniker for years and years that Cuyahoga Falls was, re- was referred to? Caucasian Falls, somebody knows. They were called that, it was. It was a place for white flight in Akron. And, and it was called Caucasian Falls. Like that's where all the white people would go to hide out, to not be infected, right? And that this young pastor came, he's a wonderful young pastor, and he said, I want our church to look like heaven. And I don't care about the former Caucasian Falls. We want to do it. So he came to our learning cohorts. He's been a coaching relationship with me for two years. And you know what happened during that time? An entire community of Bhutanese refugees moved into his church with a Bhutanese pastor. So he said, what should I do? I, like, his trustee said, well, just rent them space. I said, why don't you talk to that Bhutanese pastor and see if you guys can catch a vision together to be one church. Do you know they're one church now together? The old Caucasian Falls and the Bhutanese church. They have, they, they have two different worship services, but once a month they get together and it is glorious. It is messy. It is uncomfortable. Nobody speaks each other's languages, but man, does it look like heaven. And Pastor Steve is down there preaching today um, because represent Garfield and represent Widening the Circle. So I, I just think that's so awesome, guys. The power of the tables, what we've been dealing with. Um, I don't want to leave this series. This is a series God pressed on me this summer for whatever reason the Holy Spirit was dealing with me, saying we got to get back to the table. we got to get back to the table. And, and so we decided during the month of November going into the holidays where we're going to spend a lot of time at tables, many of us, uh, over time here. And I shared at the beginning of this series, we don't want anybody of the 1,200 folks that come through our campuses every month, we don't want anybody celebrating Thanksgiving alone. Uh, you know, if your children are traveling, uh, let us know because we've already had four families say, look, our table is wide open. If there are Garfield folks there and they're not, have a place to have Thanksgiving. So we want you to let us know that because we want you to be at table, okay? And, and we're committed to this because there's something powerful about the table. I went down to Cincinnati, I prayed about the table, and the Holy Spirit just landed on us. And he said, why haven't we been thinking about that? So we're going to end this series today, but we're not going to end our table ministry. Because I, something that I shared with the staff that's been on my heart is we have kind of a ministry strategy happening here. And um, if we put that slide up, um, it shows that kind of how our, our connections, how we do ministry uh, happens. I'm stalling. Um, this is not there. Should I just move? All right. Well, what it was in a perfect world was we had, if you take a little uh, diagram, like a diagram, we had at the top the big meeting, right, which is the worship time. We gather together. And, oh, there it is. Good. I, 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 was, I don't go to sign language. So we have the big meeting. We get the worship experience. We've got our on-ramps, which you see out there are short-term ways to jump in. You know, you get connected. You go deeper. Ministry by strengths, house of prayer, multi-ethnic conversations, different areas that are short-term uh, to kind of go deeper in our discipleship. And then we have our outreach evangelism, which Blanket the City is amazing. And uh, Nikki Froelich, our outreach coordinator, has put together, go to the connect table. All these ways we're going to blanket the city, not in snow, thank you, Jesus, but in love um, this year. And this happens, right? But go back to that last one, please. If we can go back to the last one, you see that it kind of leaves a little vacant spot because people do this and they come through here and they connect with Christ and they start to grow, but, but there's like a side door open. They can kind of wander off because they don't develop community. And as we go to that next slide, our table ministry closes that. If we can get people at table together. So we got a lot of small groups now that are meeting at table. And so we're not going to leave this. 
we're going we're, we're to lean into this together. So we can have a large church, but we can have the intimacy of being together at table. So I want to read a scripture for you of a, a table a encounter with Jesus, right? Like before this series, I knew, I should have known this, but I didn't know it as front of my brain as I did, how much time Jesus spent at tables. You know, he spent so much time at tables. Maybe 80% of his ministry was table ministry, right? Why? Because getting in that, that way for real new life transformation. So we have a story about an individual table story here. We find it in Matthew, and it says this. As Jesus went from where he was, he saw a man named Matthew, in Luke they call him Levi, right, Hebrew names, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now, how many you know at least a little bit about tax collectors were not very revered in Israeli society, right? It, because they were, they were Jewish people who were collaborating with Rome to scam people out of their money. So Matthew's sitting there, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner, that's very important, dinner, okay? Say dinner. See, I was in the Pentecostal church last week. I came back with, you know, I'll be doing this all, I'll get over it in a few weeks, but I'm still there. Uh, Dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why did your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick. And this verse I just want to burn in our brains. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? right? We're following all the religious rules. You guys are breaking all the rules. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, then they will fast. And then he gives these wonderful parables. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into the new wineskins, and both are preserved. We've been talking from tablet to table, now I'm going to close it out, from tablet to table to new life. When we get the table, this is a story about new life. That's why Jesus tells these parables about new wineskins and, and new patches, that something new is happening. You don't take the old and, 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 you know, and, and try to, or the new, I'm sorry, and try to put it into the old. It, it, it won't be able to contain it. We need to go forward. We need to go further, right? Pastor Terry preached on the Emmaus Road last week. I watched it on the way home. Terry was driving. Um, you know, and I love in that Emmaus story how it said Jesus wanted to go further, but they weren't ready, so he stayed with them, right, patiently. But that doesn't mean he still doesn't want to take us further. And Matthew has experienced new life at the table, right? Not in a worship service, not coming to the altar, not, you know, not being slain in the spirit. All that stuff's good, and I've had all that happen to me. But he experiences it dramatically with Jesus at the table. And three little things, they're all P's, like, so you'll remember them. I went to seminary. I, paid my money. Um, I want to talk about new life comes with a new priority, a new proximity, and a new power. Ready? On your mark, get set, 
See, if you guys don't talk to me, I'm telling you, I'm going back to Cincinnati. I am. I'm going to go back. Um, they amen my ifs and does. No. Ready, set, go. We go. Priority, proximity, power. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Justin's right. This side of the room is a little more vocal. I don't know what's going on. Some of you switch. No, I'm kidding. Um, new life begins with a new priority. What do I mean by that? New priority. It begins with a call. Jesus goes to Matthew and calls him. Come and follow me. See, new life with Christ really begins with a call. Like, you can be in church all your life, you can believe in Jesus, and you may have not answered the call. There's a calling upon us. There's a, there's a claim upon us. And somebody said to me once, what does that look like, Chip? I, I mean, I literally, I'm your pastor this many years later. I was enjoying running my own business in the construction industry, and I kind of hoped God would leave me alone, and I was involved in church, and I paid my own money and do my little gig. But all of a sudden, there's something from the outside begins to press on you, and you start realizing that Jesus says, I want to be at the center of your life. I don't want to be on the periphery anymore. I don't want to be like you, you come and see me during visiting hours on Sunday. Like, I want to be involved in your life. I want to be the ultimate claim upon your life. And when you start feeling that, you sense that you've been, you've been called, right? I, I, we, I know we got a lot of physicians out there. We got physicians. We got some former Cleveland police detectives. I know some of you are out there. You know what it's like to be on call, right? When you're on call... I was talking to Pastor Scott this morning, and his brother's a surgeon down in southern Ohio, and he said when he's on call, it doesn't matter if it's Christmas Eve, it doesn't matter if Easter, if that phone rings, right? If that text goes, you're on call, you got to do what? Go. Jesus is reminding us in this narrative that as Christians, we're always on call. Somebody said to me one time, said, you know, pastors, I respect you guys because you're on call 24-7. I said, that's hogwash. Every follower of Jesus Christ is on call 24-7. We've been called for, we have a claim on our life where he is central to us, and, 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 and he's called us. It means, it means we're not in complete control anymore, you know? And I love to say this to your friends. Everybody's like, I'm afraid to surrender control to Jesus. The only thing you're surrendering is the illusion that you were ever in control in the first place. One doctor's appointment, one phone call can change your world in an instant and remind you that from beginning to the end, he is God, we are not. And that, and, and, you know, that we, we suddenly realize there's something going on in our lives. I love what Romans 8.28 used to persecute me, but I made friends with it. If you know Romans 8.28, all things work together for good for they who love the Lord. That was used like to say everything happens for a reason, just deal with it. And by when I was younger, and that didn't help. But I think the NIV gets it the best translation. It really says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Now we stop right there. And we forget that that's not all the verse. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. It's symmetry. You know what Paul's saying? If you love God, you've been called. Now, Matthew gets a call, and he walks and goes, and we go, gosh, I can't do that. Here's the problem. Don't take call stories and universalize them, right? What, what worked for you, what happened to you, what happened to me may be different. If you read John's gospel, Jesus calls people in different ways, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, a religious leader comes to Jesus at night so nobody would know, and Jesus almost pounces on him. Like he's there for a minute. He goes, you must be born again. 
And then the next chapter, John 4, he meets a woman at the well, and he's very gentle, and he takes his time, and he ministers to her. And it's only later down the road does he call her. And if you get to John chapter 9, where the man born blind, he healed him with mud pies, you remember? This guy, he healed him, but it was only in subsequent meetings with Jesus, if you read John chapter 9, that he was called. So the call of God is as diverse as the people of God. So, but our job is to stay open to God's call. There was a seminary student who uh, was planning his control to be a Presbyterian pastor. He kind of had it all worked out. And suddenly in seminary, there was a calling that called him to really leave the seminary and do something different. He said, I have been called to broadcast God's grace through the land. Do you know who that was? Anybody see the movie yet? Tom Hanks? <laughs> Mr. Rogers. And if you saw it, spoiler alert, I'm seeing it Friday. I will not speak to you again if you give me any of that. But yeah, Mr. Rogers, he had a call. Like he was, he was going to be a Presbyterian pastor. And, and then he saw the TV was, was sucking the life out of community. And he decided God had called him to broadcast God's grace. And his biographer, this part of that movie, they interviewed him recently. And he said, talking to Mr. Rogers, and this was a person with no faith, who now has faith, after interviewing Mr. Rogers, he said, I asked him about his faith, and he said it was as fundamental to him as his DNA. And he said, that faith was so much a part of who he was, it's almost like it wasn't of his choosing. Do you hear? We've been called. We, we have to make Jesus our priority. And then the second thing that happens at this table, as Matthew's learning to make Jesus his priority, he's finding out that Jesus is in his proximity. Right? It, 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 that that, that uh, new life um, continues with a new proximity. We're getting ready to go into a Christmas season. Thank you, Pastor Terry, for reminding me. I've got five messages to preach in a month. Um, but a new proximity, right? Christmas is God gets involved. No other religion says this, by the way. No other faith group ever says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Right? Literally means pitched his tent moved into our neighborhood, and you have this picture of Jesus at dinner. That's why I made you say dinner. At dinner with Matthew, because the dinner meal in the ancient Near East was the center of everything. Family, community, it was the most intimate moment. Do you know in that world, you stood up to eat breakfast, you sat down to eat lunch, and you reclined at dinner. That's why in the upper room, Jesus is reclining with his disciples. You know how intimate that was? Like, he's right in the midst of it, not just with Matthew, but with all his tax-collecting buddies. Like, you think you're too far for God to reach you? One scholar said to me, the Bible is actually a story of hide-and-seek. But we think that God's hiding and we're to seek him. The truth is, we're hiding and he's out to seek us, right? If you read the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? After they ate the pomegranate or whatever it was, it couldn't have been an apple. Apples weren't in existence back then. It's a good image, but whatever. But they ate some kind of fruit, right? They weren't supposed to eat. And what happened? God came doing what? Calling. Where are you? And what'd they say? We're hiding. See, the Bible's not about us finding God. It's a story about God finding us. Jesus Christ came into the world to unhide us. It's funny, when Pastor Terry preached on the Emmaus story last week, it talked about how Jesus revealed himself in the breaking of the bread. That word in the Greek is althea. 
And you know what it literally means? He unhid himself, right? Because when we come to his table, we can unhide ourselves. We can find out what, what we've been hiding because we're too ashamed of. And we can be who we are, safe in his presence as Jesus comes reclining with us. Now, who went crazy with Jesus doing that? The religious leaders, right? They went nuts. Because why? It wasn't just, it was okay to pontificate to the tax collectors, but you don't proximitate or whatever. That's a bad word. I don't even know what it is. You don't go into their proximity, right? You don't go, you don't go next to them. Why? Because in the religious rules, and this is all religion to this day, that's why I claim Christianity is not religion. Every religious rule says how to stay clean. There's the clean and there's the unclean. And that was in their day and age. They had all these rules, dietary rules, right? And cleanliness rules. And if the clean comes in proximity to the unclean, what happens? You get unclean. How many school teachers out there? Yeah, and you guys know, you've told me, like, if you want to develop a good immune system, like, teach the third grade. Because you're in proximity of what? All kind of germs. And you're going to get sick, but your immune system will boost up, right? And, but the Pharisees and the religious leaders felt that the same thing that happens physically when we put ourselves in the proximity of germs happens morally and spiritually. And if you are clean and you're practicing cleanliness laws, if you get next to anything that's unclean, it'll make you unclean. And that was like Peter, if you read Acts 10, he was up on the house, he's praying, and then God showed him, he had all these food restrictions, and uh, then God showed him like, a Big Macs and barbecue ribs and, oh, come on, man, read it. I'm close. You know, succulent turkey. And, and Peter goes, Lord, I can't eat that. I'm, it's unclean. And God said, don't you ever call anything I made unclean. I am cleanliness itself. And whatever I touch can become clean in an instant. And if you're out there thinking I'm too fallen, I'm too far, I'm, I'm too ashamed, just one touch of Jesus can clean you in an instant. And that's where the Pharisees went berserk because he's hanging out with all the wrong people. And what was Jesus' answer? He said, those who are well don't need a physician. But those who are sick, how many of you know we're sick? How many of you know the human race is sick? Spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, we're sick. We're angry. We're scared. We're anxious. We're divided. We're proud. We're superior, feelings of superiority, feelings of inferiority. So easily offended, so easily hurt. Insensitive, too sensitive. We're sick. We're sick. And Jesus says, I am the great physician. Come into your world, to, into your proximity to do a house call. And I don't come with a mask and rubber gloves. I come with grace and with truth and with love and with forgiveness in my hands. And do you realize when we get in that kind of proximity, that Jesus, what he did to get close to us, we're healed. We're fixed. Romans 8 says it this way. I love it. He said, God proves his love for us in that we were, while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sick, Christ got dirty, he got bloody, he, got, he cried tears, he was bruised and gave his life for us. That's the physician that's come to heal us. And what happens is that when Jesus does that, we can find a whole new power, right? Because religion, here's what religion does. I know I'm very hard on religion. Religion creates a fragile holiness. 
Just remember I said that. Religion creates a fragile holiness. Because religion says if you do this and you do that and you do this and you do that, then you'll be clean, then God will answer your prayers, then God will take you to heaven. But the problem with that is we're working so hard to justify ourselves. We're working so hard to be clean enough. We're working so hard to feel good enough about ourselves that whether we know it or not, we're trying to earn God's favor and we have a fragile holiness because we're never quite sure if we're measuring up. And that causes us to draw a big bright line between the good people and the bad people. And they're the bad people and we're the good people and we're trying, we're the righteous, they're the unrighteous. So you have to draw that line, right? And you want nothing to do with bad people. You know why? Because you're so insecure in your own holiness. And you're worried you might get contaminated. And Jesus comes and shatters all that and reclines at the table. And brings us a power, right? That, that can make us clean in a minute. And, and what, that, what that can do for you, it can give you an industrial strength self-image. Like you don't, you're not working to get your self-image anymore. You already knew you're sick. But you know you've met the great physician who can make you well. And so you're not trying so hard to justify yourself. You're not trying so hard to, you know, to make sure that you've achieved enough or, or you've been so you're, not, you're just you're able to rest a little bit. You can recline at table with him. I am married to the most self-secure person in Jesus you've ever met. I mean, she's sweet as all get out, and you know, you can hurt her feelings or whatever. But there's nothing you can do to that woman to break her self-image. She just, she's just too in love with Jesus. She just knows God is, is absolutely in love with her. I'm the worrywart in the family. I'm always bringing up the bad scenarios. And she's like, oh, God, I'll take care of you. Know, God. I'm like, I know, I'm going to take care of it. You know, like, we're down, we're down at people's church last week, and there was an explosion, and they were declaring in tongues, and there was interpretation, and, and then the clamor got going, the Holy Spirit really hit. And, and I just, you know, I'm worshiping in the Spirit a little bit, and I just hear my, I wonder how my wife's doing. I look down, down, she's looking up to heaven just going, you deserve it. You, I'm like, who does that? Like, like she's saying all this praise, you deserve it. Like, I think I could go home today and say, honey, I gambled all the money. We're broke. We're going to lose the house. We're going to live in a box. You go, okay, you deserve it. Like, you can't rattle her because her worth has been met with him. And there's a power now. There's a power. See, I love in this passage, you can miss it. It said that Jesus was at table with Matthew and so were his disciples. Now, you know, they didn't follow him easy. But they found a power in, in following him. And you know what the word was? They found out, Jesus said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Right? What does that mean, mercy and not sacrifice? Right? I asked a biblical definition of mercy. You're going to love the first part of it. You're going to hate the second part of it. Mercy in the Bible is love, service, and compassion to people. Everybody believe that? Amen? Three of you believe it. Good. Um, love, service, and compassion to people who are not like you. That's mercy. See, love, service, and compassion to people is niceness. You're just hanging out with your, your friends. But love, service, and compassion to people who are not like you is mercy. And suddenly, the disciples have become agents of mercy. Why? Because Jesus, you know, he took in our sin, he who knew no sin became sin that we might know the righteousness of God. His holiness is imputed to us as our sinfulness was imputed to him. He became the leper. He became the pariah. He became the unclean. He was beaten and thrown out of town so that we could be brought in. 
And as a recipient of that kind of mercy, we go out and start a revolution of mercy. And it started at the table, right? I love what, um, what Andrew Young said uh, when they were marching to Selma. If you know anything about the civil rights movement, um, Selma was Bloody Sunday. That was one of the greatest uh, reactions of violence and hate as we were trying to break apartheid in America. And, and when they went back to march a second time, they were marching from Selma to Montgomery. Andrew Young got up and announced to the crowd, I'll never forget this, I've seen the tape of it. He said, this is a revolution. A revolution that won't fire a shot. He said, we have come here today to love the hell out of the state of Alabama. See, when you have received this power from God, and you are the beneficiary of his mercy, right? You don't draw bright lines between the good people and the bad people, them and us. You go out to live, love the hell out of the city of Cleveland, out of the state of Ohio, out of families, out of neighborhoods, that we go out as part of that kind of revolution. Because we've been at the table, we've, we, we've made a new priority, we've, we've seen Jesus come into our proximity, he cared enough to come into my area code, into my life, into my family, into my marriage, into my living room, into my personality, he's come that close because he cares for me that much. That's why Paul says in Romans, he said, we don't have to ascend to heaven, we don't have to descend to the depth, the word of God has come near. And when I realize that that's happened and I'm the beneficiary of mercy, how dare I know go out and live mercy? And that's the power. And look at, look at Matthew. He, he's, he's a tax collector. He's a scoundrel. He meets Jesus. And he brought Jesus home for his own little personal Bible site. No, he invited all his tax collector friends. Can you imagine that? It was a tax collector convention. And Matthew says, wait till you meet this guy, right, who changed my life. How different would the world be if we did like that? What did the woman at the well say? Come and meet the man who changed my life. See, he had a new power. He wasn't trying to justify himself in the eyes of others. And when we can do that and we can live like that, we can initiate a whole new revolution, right? But friends, it starts at the table. We're getting ready to go into a new election year. Last one about killed us at this church, right? Because churches don't try to do what we do. Every tongue, tribe, and nation, every political persuasion, every theological understanding, like we're together and we got to make sure that we're sitting at the table because I'm going to tell you something I learned from my Asian sister, Sister Lee out in Mosaics in Dallas. She said, when you sit at the table together, it's hard to leave there and be enemies. You can do it, but you got to work at it. Let's make, put the devil on his back heels in this kind of year to get to the table to receive his power and to start a revolution of mercy. Amen? Amen. All right, good to know you're still here. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, Holy Spirit, come. Empower us for this moment. Uh, bring us back to the tables. Many of us will be sitting